0: Hi, Foxies. The episode you're trying to listen to is right around the corner, but first we need your help. You may have noticed that there are no ads during The Fox and the Foxhound. We prefer this being ad haters ourselves, but we need your help to keep it that way. If you love this show, please consider signing up as a patron at patreon.com slash The Fox and the Foxhound. We have Patreon tiers starting at just $1 a month. And not only will you get fun extra content and an unedited cut of every episode two days early, you'll be directly responsible for keeping the show going in all of its ad free glory. Thanks to all of our existing patrons, past patrons, and hopefully future patrons. Enjoy the episode.
1: Hi, I'm Kevin. And I'm Amanda. And we are the Wilsons. We've been married for over a year and started the show when we were still engaged.
0: Kev is reading through the series for the first time.
1: And Amanda is a longtime Potterhead.
0: Each week, we read a chapter or two and discuss our exploration of the series.
1: Every episode features a marriage lesson from each of us based on what we've read. And Kev makes a prediction about what is to come. This podcast is about Harry Potter, love, marriage, friendship, and the power of kindness.
0: If you are listening for the first time, welcome. In the second half of the show, We'll let you know how you can keep in touch with us and your fellow listeners.
1: We'll also let you know how you can support the show through Patreon and contribute content yourselves.
0: Warning, there's always a risk of adult language and poorly crafted jokes in each episode.
1: Welcome to to the the Fox Fox and the the Fox Fox Sound. Sound. Voldemort's life is filled with depravity. Ooh, very good. Voldemort... This is your life. What's the show? That's the show
0: where that theme song comes from?
1: No, I just made that song. Up.
0: Oh, okay.
1: But yeah, this is your life.
0: This is your life. Tom Riddle Jr., this is your life.
1: <laughs> that's, that's my anxiety every day.
0: <laughs> Kevin Ray Wilson, this is your
1: life. <laughs> it's a Sunday afternoon. Pretty relaxing day. Maybe you should think about every decision you've ever made in your entire life. And but only the bad ones. <laughs> and scrutinize them until your heart races.
0: You're not going to be allowed to think of any of the times when you made the right decision or the healthy decision. You're only going to think about the bad ones.
1: Modified my own memory like Slughorn. Let's get going. Stop it. This is, this is a loaded one. This is a one chapter episode. It's yeah. called A Sluggish Memory.
0: Well, the chapter is, yes. I don't know what the
1: episode will be called yet. But I, the, I yes, that, the chapter yes. is called A Sluggish Memory. A Sluggish Memory. And as we've discussed on the podcast, a slug, <laughs> according to my mom, is when you're just like laying around and not getting much done. It's me every Sunday. She'll say, I feel like I've been kind of a slug today.
0: Yeah. Because but she'll also
1: say, I felt like having had a kind of a slug day.
0: Yeah, because like you and your mom are the, the type of people who like get shit done. Like, yeah. oh, it's the weekend. I'm going to, like, pave my driveway. Meanwhile, I'm like, oh, it's the weekend? Sweet. I don't have to do anything.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's the weekend?
0: The weekend. Oh, it's the weekend? Is he outside?
1: Oh, my God. You would just be, like,
0: flush. Celebrity crush. Love the weekend. (laughs) Um, I have some top of the show announcements. Are you ready?
1: Top of the show announcements.
0: First of all, one thing we forgot to say last week, because we're not good at calendars, (laughs) was to wish a happy Juneteenth to our listeners in the Black community. So we hope you had an excellent day. This would be yesterday, the day we're recording this, but we hope you had an excellent day on the 19th and just a joyful time.
1: Yeah. I hope everyone took some time to reflect on what that holiday means. Absolutely. Absolutely. I did a little bit of
0: research on the holiday. I do like a a little newsletter for work every week on Fridays, and I wanted to write something about Juneteenth. And I was like, well, my knowledge of the holiday is really just kind of the basic framework. So let me inform myself a little bit. It was so
1: interesting. You know what I would like to research is, so the Emancipation Proclamation was signed Mm -hmm. by President Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's like two and a half years later. That people in Texas hear, oh, you know, slavery is no longer federally legal. Right. And we know that it continued as sharecropping right. and Absolutely. stuff for many, many years. What would make a slaveholder go, oh, this came down from the president? Fuck him. And I mean, just keep slaves. I mean, like, gestures wildly right. in our country. Like, is any, yeah. Do you think there were people, like, enforcing this? probably not. You know what I mean? That's what I need to research. I just don't know enough to really even
0: Right. And I think that would be an interesting thing to research cuz I guess you figure like a good portion of the country was not supportive of the emancipation proclamation period, right? So like they're probably not going to enforce it.
1: I think I'm going to call my history teaching friends and
0: Oh yeah, call them. call up Mr. Crane. Yeah. Not Fraser Crane. <laughs> you
1: don't know Fraser.
0: But yeah. Second announcement. And another thing that we sadly missed. I know Frasier. No, I meant from the show Frasier. I meant personally you don't know Frasier. Oh. I know you're like aware of (laughs) Fraser. Jesus Christ.
1: (laughs) Caffeinated Kevin's got like a hair trigger. Give me your best Frasier impersonation.
0: Welcome, welcome everyone to the Fraser Show. I don't
1: know. Was he, he wasn't, Hello, Diane. was he British?
0: Was he British? No. <laughs> Why is this? Hello, Diane. What is that? Uh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Caffeine kev is such a problem. Ooh, okay, we have a second announcement. This was yesterday on the 19th. It was Chris White's birthday, our Marauder Chris. Happy
1: birthday, Chris.
0: We're the worst for missing me. Thank you for all
1: of your interaction with the show. Yeah. And for your participation in Discord. Yes. And your always positive, supportive attitude.
0: Yeah, such a positive guy. And thank you for the work that you do. He's in healthcare and he works with kids.
1: Chris White.
0: Chris White.
1: We think you're all right. More than all right. In a world of darkness, you are our light.
0: Love. Are we writing a musical?
1: About Chris. Did we just write a musical about Chris?
0: Did we just start writing
1: a musical about Chris? But then he gets falsely imprisoned, and there's the warden. (gasps) And the warden has her own song.
0: You're locked up, isn't it?
1: you're locked up so this is your situation in it in it <laughs> my you god you can't get out and now you're <laughs> sad cuz in it
0: it's giving me what it's giving me vibes like the uh what's the couple in Sweeney Todd that right, like, right, runs right, exactly. the runs the fucking trap house or whatever i
1: don't i don't know uh. <laughs>
0: what how does that song oh my go god the marauders
1: nuts? musical oh my god it's so good
0: I love it it's, it's not Sweeney Todd it's Les Mis it's Les Mis I'm thinking of not Sweeney Todd right yeah it's Les Miz. I'll look it up I'll put it in the show notes the song I'm thinking of. I'm like so 99% at sure it's the Les prison
1: Mis. where Chris is um <laughs> this happens it's still ben, happening Ben Clark works there right <laughs> But he hates working there because yeah. he knows it's kind of like Azkaban and it's kind of a bummer to work there. Yeah, And so he just goes out back, you know, where everyone takes their smoke breaks and just yeah. kind of sits out back and reflects on like where his life's going. But he has a song that is like, I'm out back, you know, like the outback in yeah. Australia. Oh. But he's like, I'm out back thinking about my feelings, but I'm out back. <laughs> uh, get my life on track. Why do
0: I always have to be out back? Okay, and the song is called I'm No Bin
1: Chicken. (laughs) Sometimes I want to scream and shout. I want to go on walkabout. Oh my God. Everything's broken. I'm not the fixer. I just want to go to the US and watch the Sixers. We really do need to write a musical. That's what we're doing the rest of the day.
0: We're calling up Lin-Manuel. We're going to collaborate with him. I think it's going to be the next Hamilton, the next In the Heights. It's going to be amazing. Yeah.
1: Marauders, the musical.
0: I have now watched In the Heights three times. I almost watched it for a fourth time yesterday. I might still watch it for the fourth time today. I'm obsessed with it.
1: I think we should open the show. You know how Little Shop of Horrors opens with the girls who oh, sing, like, they sing downtown and yes. stuff? Yes. it would be like, um, we've got Moxie, where the fuck? Sees, and they'll all be dancing across the front of the stage. You know? Jesus Christ.
0: I also notice you keep calling it Azkaban?
1: Azkaban. Azkaban. I also feel like Michael Terry should wear a monocle in this musical. <laughs> <laughs> Just suits him. <laughs> well, I do say. And that's how he'll talk also. Okay. I was
0: taking a drink of coffee when you said that. And I I almost died. So... I hope you were ready to be a widower and for it to be your fault. All right. <laughs> we have a third announcement. <laughs> this is a weird day already. <laughs> what, if this, what if people are listening to the show for the first time right now? They're like, is this what this is? Yes. I thought this was about Harry yes, Potter.
1: This is what this is. And we're sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we have a third announcement. Another one of our marauders. I'd
1: just like to tell the audience that Amanda's holding <laughs> up three fingers right now while she's saying this.
0: I talk with my hands, okay? I can't help it. Another one of our marauders. I'm going to keep my hands very still. Melissa Hunter. Melissa Hunter. Who's Got
1: engaged. Oh, my God. On the top.
0: Of a goddamn mountain. Love is in the air. Quite literally on top of a mountain. I wonder if
1: she was hunting with her boyfriend at the time.
0: When I first told Kev that this had happened, he said, is her fiance's last name Fisher?
1: Like I haven't beat that dumb joke up enough.
0: It's still funny. I'm sorry. It's still funny. So congratulations, congratulations, Melissa. Melissa.
1: This is such an exciting time after it you is get engaged. The best, and you get to plan your wedding. Oh, it's just so much fun. So much fun. And we wish you the best of luck, both of you. Yes, and I'm and sure he's a wonderful man.
0: He he has he better be to be deserving of Melissa. But Melissa is very discerning, and she would not choose an unworthy fellow. And happy birthday to Chris. And happy Juneteenth. So those are our announcements. Okay, Okay. wow. 15 minutes in, no big deal. Okay. All right, one chapter, a sluggish memory I am reading first. Late in the afternoon, a few days after New Year, Harry, Ron, and Ginny lined up beside the kitchen fire to return to Hogwarts. The ministry had arranged this one off connection to the flu network to return students quickly and safely to the school.
1: As he closed the study door behind him, he distinctly heard Phineas Nigelis say, I can't see why the boy should be able to do it better than you, Dumbledore. I wouldn't expect you to, Phineas, replied Dumbledore, and Fox gave another low musical cry.
0: Hmm, Fox. So as I read, we start this chapter with the gang getting ready to return to Hogwarts. And I don't know about you, but like sometimes I think over the course of this book, I can sort of forget that like the world is super dangerous and there are all these precautions set up at the school. Yeah. And so fortunately the ministry's like, all right, just this once. We're gonna have all the kids return to school by flu. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, that would be the safest way to do it, right? You figure they can't operate because they're not old enough. They shouldn't fly on brooms. That that would just I mean can you imagine that many kids flying on brooms? Easily attackable. Yeah. They can't take the tube it's just, yeah, they have to have this secure plan. So it's a good plan. But yeah. Molly is quite emotional.
1: She is, especially with Harry.
0: She is. And she's like worried, but she's also still, I think, really hurt by Percy.
1: Yeah, she's been through a lot this she weekend. She
0: really, really has. And I'm I'm like willing to overlook the sweater incident from last chapter. I just feel really bad for Molly right now. Yeah. Oh, poor lady. So they flew into McGonagall's office and she's like clearly just had kids showing up in her office all freaking day. Yeah, She's like, don't get ash on the carpet. Nice to see you.
1: Go to your tower.
0: Please, God. (laughs) Yes, exactly. She's like barely even looking up from her work. You know that when they pitched this to McGonagall, she was like, are you serious? (laughs) I can't do her accent.
1: (laughs) This is all the teachers going back to in-school learning Oh, the kids. And they're like, oh, my God, they're back.
0: Can you imagine? Although every teacher I know was like, please, for the love of God, can we get back to the classroom? Yeah, (laughs) because it was just so hard to to teach in the way they wanted to teach online.
1: So the kids head to Gryffindor Tower. Yeah. They meet up with Hermione. They have to go through the common room and the lady in the painting has been. Drinking with some other lady. Yeah. And so the new password is abstinence because she's like super hungover.
0: So I guess that answers, I feel like a couple books ago, we had a question of like, who sets the passwords? And I feel like that really suggests that it's the guardian of of that yeah. passageway sets the passwords. Bless her heart. She just wanted to have some fun over Christmas. God. She got turned. She got turned. She went on a benda.
1: So Harry tells Hermione what he overheard, the whole Snape Malfoy thing. Mm-hmm. And... Hermione basically, as Harry expects, thinks sort of along the same lines as Arthur and Lupin. Yeah. Okay, well, that might have been a ruse. Like, Snape might have done that to try to get more information out of Malfoy, in which case he is serving the Order and Dumbledore, etc.
0: Right. I mean, Hermione's kind of a lawyer in this
1: conversation. And then there is the question of Malfoy's master, because Snape mentioned Mm -hmm. Malfoy's master. And he's like, oh, well, who is his master? Good
0: point, Harry. Could be his dad. Yeah, but I mean, I get where Hermione's coming from, but also like, how that'd be fucking weird to call your dad master.
1: I'm worried that the people that share all of this belief that Harry doesn't, come on, you're overthinking things, are really underestimating Malfoy.
0: I think that's a danger. And yeah. I think
1: this is w- when we read a little bit further and we go back into the Pensieve and there's the whole Tom Riddle memories and stuff. I think this is what happened with Tom, too. Absolutely. Everyone underestimated this kid's power and ability. Of yeah. what's going
0: on. Yeah. And we have established that Malfoy is in any WT level potions. He's a smart kid. Oh, yeah. Like, he's a good student. He's, you know, because... Tom Riddle is described as, I think Dumbledore calls him, unnaturally talented. I don't think it's a stretch to say that Malfoy is also unnaturally talented. And he's pretty charming. You know, he probably doesn't have quite the same charm level as young Tom Riddle. Yeah. But he knows how to get what he wants. Like, I think seeing a parallel there is totally valid. On the subject of Hermione, she would have found out a lot of this information earlier, by the way, if she wasn't still firmly the mayor of Grudgetown. Because she's literally pretending like Ron doesn't exist. Ron was clearly trying to say, oh, we had a good holiday. Scrimger came by and, you know, like, I feel like Ron's ready to bury the hatchet. Yeah, Hermione's digging her heels in.
1: Because she likes him. I know. And he's with Lavender and it's too much for her to handle. I know.
0: I hate it. I hate it.
1: So Hermione reminds Harry, who... Fenrir Grayback is. Yeah, she's like, oh, you remember this whole Fenrir Grayback guy? This is the guy who Malfoy threatened. Hey, you know Grayback, right? Watch your back to the right. guy at Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> um, and he's like, ah, it could be an empty threat too, though. It could be that he that Malfoy doesn't know Grayback or right. has any association, but he just dropped that name
0: because Grayback is notorious.
1: Yeah. You know, he's he's kind of a he's like a mafia boss or something.
0: Yeah, he's he's the Al Capone. He just also happens to be a werewolf. But it's I don't know. This conversation is so interesting to me because Harry's like, come on. How can you still not be convinced? And Hermione's like, whoa, dude, I'm not saying I'm not convinced. I'm just trying to say there are alternative explanations for this.
1: Harry's like, this proves he's a Death
0: Eater. Right, right. And I kind of want to say, hey, Harry, weren't you just raking scrimger over the coals for incarcerating Stan Shunpike without proof that he's a Death Eater? Isn't that kind of like Hermione's just trying to say, we don't have anything definite, man.
1: Yeah, you got to look at all sides of things. I was listening to a podcast with a great journalist the other day, and he's the journalist that broke the nexium story oh right yes he also was involved with the uh steel dossier with that whole russian thing with trump and all this stuff okay
0: i didn't know Um, he was involved
1: in that but he was saying like you know that he doesn't like trump thinks trump is a horrible person he didn't vote for him and all this stuff yeah but there was part of his journalistic career where everything was kind of going down i can't remember what specifically what it was that It was sort of this assumption was made that Trump was involved with some certain nuanced thing. And he had to be like, whoa. Right. Whoa. If he didn't do that, the truth needs to come out that he didn't do that. It's not going to take away from the other stuff that he did. Right. But if we're seeking the actual truth, we need to seek the actual truth. Yeah. Not just lump a bunch of other stuff in. That's not true justice.
0: Exactly. True
1: justice is the things that you actually did. Not the things that you're capable of doing.
0: Right. And it reminds me of a conversation we had. I think that you had heard this conversation on Armchair Expert about hate crimes, right? And yeah. someone kind of going, this is a hate crime or this isn't a hate crime. And how important it is to know that there is hate crime as is a, a legal statute, you know? And it's it was an interesting conversation. Yeah. And if you can remember, before I write the show notes, if you can remember what episode of Armchair Expert that was, I'll try and link to it. But okay. At any rate, yeah. I mean, I think Hermione's being fair here, and it doesn't really matter if you like the guy or don't like the guy. You know, there are other explanations for this, but I think even Hermione's starting to realize that the other explanations, like Occam's razor, the simplest explanation tends to be correct. I feel like even she's kind of going, ooh, I think, yeah. There's a bit
1: of looks like a duck, quacks like a duck going on. Yes, exactly. So, then apparition lessons are announced. Yes. (laughs) And it's if you are turning 17 between now and August 30th, or if you're already 17, Mm -hmm. then you now qualify to take apparating lessons.
0: Yes. It's a 12-week
1: course. Um, Well, the only student who's ever actually apparated was Harry with Dumbledore. So, Harry's the one that's telling the kids, like, I mean, good luck, because it kind of sucks. Like, it's kind of, like, physically really horrible on you. And so all day long, all the kids are like tell us more, tell us more. Of
0: course, it seems like the more unpleasantness he describes, the more fascinated and excited all the other kids are. Which, yeah, I mean, I would be stoked. Quite frankly, I would take the side effects to be able to operate. I'd be like, oh, it gives you a headache and makes you want to vom fine cool yeah it
1: doesn't everything
0: right (laughs) doesn't life man (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean it's harry's like y'all this is not fun this you don't understand this is not fun
1: so then it's time for lessons with dumbledore yes Harry's picking up his lessons pretty quick again as soon as he comes back to school with old dumb (laughs) old dummy. And they kind of talk about how Scrimgeour came to the borough to see Harry and how Harry kind of bucked up to him and disrespected him and shit. And he's like, "Eh, Scrimgeour's not very happy with Harry. And Dumbledore's like, yeah, he's not exactly happy with me either right now.
0: I love Dumbledore's sense of humor early in this conversation when he's like, well, I guess we'll just have to soldier on yeah. knowing that Scrimgeour doesn't like cares, us, right. that fucking asshole.
1: So then yeah. we have the I can't moment in oh, this chapter. I know. I this know. is where he Harry tells Dumbledore, he's like, yeah, Scrimgeour accused me of being Dumbledore's man through and through. And I said, yes, I am. And Dumbledore's eyes water up with tears and he like looks down at the floor. I can't. And I can't.
0: I can't. It clearly, and he even says- He's moved by it. That means a lot to me or yeah. I'm moved by that or, or whatever he says. It's really, this is one of those moments I feel like, I might be totally wrong, but I feel like the, the scrimger exchange of you're Dumbledore's man through and through, aren't you, Potter, is more often quoted than this moment in terms of like- quotes about this Dumbledore's man thing. Yeah. But this to me is such a beautiful and not very talked about moment in this book and in the series. Yeah. Because this is like, so often we just see Dumbledore as this all-knowing, you know, very stoic, doesn't show his hand kind of guy. We don't get to see him emotional very often. I mean, the last time was really at the end of book five in the, the Lost Prophecy in that chapter. Yeah. Which wrecked us.
1: I think it's part of why he loves Harry so much, too, is because with everyone else in his life, he has to maintain a certain amount of stoicism. Yeah. And he has this trusting relationship with this kid, and there's clearly this bond of love between them to where it makes him a little bit more sensitive and a little bit more able to express his emotions. I
0: know. Oh, it's so sweet.
1: Raise sensitive men, people.
0: Yes. Yes. We also learned something interesting that it was originally Fudge's idea to approach Harry. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. And Harry's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, that wouldn't have worked. And Dumbledore's like, yeah, I know,
1: right, man? That's what I told him. Yeah, fudge. That's so, like, <laughs> two books ago. I know, right? God. So we find out the Scrimgeour is watching Dumbledore's every move. Yeah. He has been using Dullish to do this. Yeah. And Dumbledore's like, ah, gee, I had to stupefy or whatever it is. He's like, I had to throw another charm on Dolish. Like, fucking this happens Dalish. all the time. He's what a, a joke! Chump, whatever. A fucking guy. So then Harry, of course, tells Dumbledore about the whole Snape and Malfoy thing. Yeah. And Dumbledore insists on his trust in Snape. Yep. Harry, like, basically ask him again in a way or starts to ask him, like, do you honestly trust Snape? And Dumbledore gets kind of pissed and he, he was like, down. I think that I've answered this question sufficiently enough for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he corrects him, Professor Snape.
0: Yep. Like he always does. And the implication I get from the stuff he says is like, look, I didn't have to answer you the first time you asked me. Yeah. But I did. I was open enough to answer this question the first time you asked it. I am not going to answer this question again. He shuts him down hard.
1: Yeah. Harry's pissed. And the challenge is the same for the reader, because I feel like, well, oh, damn, dude, if Dumbledore trusts Snape, I feel like if I am to trust Dumbledore, then I have to trust Snape. And I don't right. want to trust Snape. Which is exactly honestly, what Lupin don't was saying. I not trust Dumbledore either.
0: Right. It's exactly what Lupin was saying at the borough. I trust Dumbledore. Dumbledore trusts Snape.
1: I have to default to that. Yep. And that's kind of also has to do with two different things going on. With Lupin, it has to do with leadership. Mm-hmm. I have to trust that the people above me are making the right decisions. Yeah. Otherwise, what the hell am I doing in this job? Yeah. And the other part of it is an adult to a kid. Yeah. A kid's like, I don't have all the information. Right. I don't fully understand everything that's going on in the adult world. So I have to trust that the adult knows best. It's a
0: great point.
1: Yeah. It's kind of how it is with the doctor. Yes. You go to the doctor, you're like, I have to believe you. Yeah. Because I'm not going to go to Duke for 12 years and get a degree anytime soon. So I have to believe what you're telling me is true.
0: So I have this spot on my scalp that's like a, it's not a mole. I keep thinking it's a mole, but it's not a mole, whatever. I show this to my dermatologist. I go once a year to get like a body scan with a family history of skin cancer. I have to be very careful. And every single year I go. I show her this and she tells me again very patiently what it is and it, it's not a mole it's not dangerous it's annoying but it's it's completely benign. And she said it will probably change from time to time. Hormones can change it. It might even get bigger sometimes and then get smaller again. She said I understand why that's alarming but you have to trust me that it's not anything serious. And so a couple of weeks ago, it it started changing a little bit. And I just went down a mental rabbit hole for like a second where I was like, okay, well, this is it. This is how I die. You know, great. She must have been wrong this whole time. And then I had to say to myself almost exactly what you just said. I was like, I have to trust that the person who went to medical school and has said very confidently to me, I know exactly what this is. And it's not that. Yeah. I have to trust that she knows what she's talking about, that she's not hiding anything from me, because that's silly. Why would she? And that I need to defer to her judgment on that.
1: Yeah. Not that they don't get it wrong sometimes. Sure. As a default. Absolutely. Dumbledore says, all right, I've got two memories to share with you Mm -hmm. tonight. Mm -hmm. You know, the second one being the most important. And then he gives them a little background. Yeah. And this is where stuff starts to get complex. And I was outside on the porch reading and I had to call you on my cell phone a couple of times. And you like, called me twice. What's going on here?
0: From the backyard.
1: Yeah. Yes. Tom Riddle comes to Hogwarts. Right. Dumbledore has met this kid, has some concerns about him, but the kid seems to be bright. He's doing his thing. Very mirrored sort of Malfoy situation. Definitely. Um. As soon as the sorting hat touches the kid's head, he's instantly Slytherin. Just like Malfoy. Shocker. Right? Just like Malfoy. Yep. And he's a shy kid. Yeah. But Dumbledore is like kind of keeping his eye on him because he knows like he has this like propensity for cruelty and mm-hmm. this type of thing. Yes. Now, Tom's friends, Tom has these buddies. Mm-hmm. Like clearly one of them is Bellatrix Lestrange, which is his.
0: One of them is Rodolphus
1: Lestrange. Oh, Rodolphus R- Lestrange. Yes. Right? Mm hmm. They all seem to admire him. He's clearly the leader of this group. Mm -hmm. And Dumbledore calls them the forerunners of the Death Eaters. And that some of this group were actually the first Death Eaters that there were, which makes sense because this is the kid that becomes Voldemort. Baby
0: Death Eaters. Yep.
1: They are the ones who opened the Chamber of Secrets, which Hagrid got blamed for. Yep. And Aragog too, right? Yep. Damn. Very good. Yes. Tom is like completely obsessed with his father yeah. and his lineage.
0: You know, this is like the first time it's appropriate for you to say the line from The Doors.
1: Maybe you should kill your father. <laughs> right. Ride. Ride the snake. Ride the snake, Tommy. <laughs> He's so obsessed with finding out like who his father is. Yeah. Once he finds out that his father was not magical. Then he becomes just super obsessed with his mom's bloodline.
0: Right. And I don't know, it's kind of unclear whether or not Tom, Tommy, young Tom, Tom Riddle Jr., found out that his father was a muggle before the contents of memory won. I I get the impression he did not know that. He probably suspected it. All he knows is he did not go to Hogwarts. But it's interesting to me because... Tom Riddle junior as far as Dumbledore knows only checked for his father's names on prefect lists and trophies like it's like he only wanted to know his father was there and exceptional right above average yeah he didn't i'm sure there's a way to check like entire student rosters somehow right especially if you're looking for a parent on the the subject of Dumbledore keeping an eye on him i you know i do want to say because i give dumbledore big props for this harry's like didn't you tell the other staff what you had seen yeah at the orphanage and he's like i felt like tom deserved a fresh start yeah and so i was going to allow him that chance but i didn't trust him as we would say in the south i didn't trust him as far as i could throw him right basically and he kept an eye on him which meant tom was very guarded around dumbledore so we know that tom also can read people really well
1: yeah he knows what he's doing
0: and adjust his behavior accordingly God, social so chameleon like a liar, so. he re- it's he's a psychopath he's a true psychopath
1: so dumbledore kind of gives him this background and is like well let's jump into this first memory yeah so they jump into the first memory and this is tom going to research the mother's his maternal side of his family yeah so he goes to visit Morphin. Yes. Who we know is his uncle. Mm-hmm. Right? Correct. So he goes to Morphin's house. Of course, Morphin is like, you know, half drunk in this like dirty house and it's it all like disgusting. disgusting and Ugh. this guy has like some serious problems going on. Yeah. And so I need to open my book because there's a lot of information here.
0: Yes. There's definitely a lot. Tom also like sought the the gaunt house because he did know That his middle name, Marvolo, he was told by Mrs. Cole at the orphanage that that was the name his mother had given him as a middle name when he was born and that she had said, Maropi had said that was her father's name. Right. So he had a little bit of information.
1: So Tom busts into the house. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like knock politely. Oh, no. He busts into the house. Morphin's in there and he like pulls a knife on. him. What the fuck you doing in my house, man? Kick your ass, man. Come up in my dog, I kick your ass, man. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Tom says to him in parcel tongue, stop. <laughs> and stop Morphin, it. Mighty Morphin, power grabber is like, you speak it. <laughs> and Tom says, yes, I speak Speak of the snake language. <laughs>
0: Your parcel tongue is really. And he asked an him,
1: exception. where is Marvolo? Dead, said Morfin. Died years ago, didn't he? Riddle frowned. Who are you then? I'm Morfin, ain't I? <laughs> and that? Marvolo's son. Of course I am, in. Then Morfin pushed the hair out of his dirty face, the better to see Riddle, and Harry saw that he wore Marvolo's black stone ring on his right hand. Mm-hmm. I thought you was that muggle, whispered Morphin. You look mighty like that muggle. What muggle, said Riddle sharply. That muggle what my sister took a fancy to. That muggle what lives in a big house over the way, said Morphin. And he spat unexpectedly upon the floor between them. You look right like him, Riddle. But he's older now, ain't he? He's older than you now, I think on it. Morphin looked slightly dazed and swayed a little, still clutching the edge of the table for support. He come back, see, he added stupidly. Voldemort was gazing at Morphin as though appraising his possibilities. Now he moved a little closer and said Riddle came back, Ah, he left her and served her right, Marion Filth. Robbed us, mine before she ran off. Where's the locket? Oh, where's Slytherin's locket? Dishonored us, she did, that little slut. And who are you coming over here and asking questions about all that? It's over, ain't it? It's over. It's he says. Over, Anna, innit? Anna. <laughs> so that's the exchange that I think is important to read.
0: Yes. So uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> He's like, you know, where is Marvolo? Where is my lineage?
0: Right. And Morphin has his own questions. Where's the locket? Which, of course, Tom doesn't know. Yeah. Because the locket was sold while he was still in utero. Right. To Borgen or Burke. Burke, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because he totally, we had that whole discussion about him cheating Morobi. What were you thinking? If you can cast your mind back to when you were reading this chapter, what were you thinking with that very odd kind of out of nowhere line of Morphin kind of grabbing the edge of the table? What did you think was happening at that point?
1: I don't really know. I was a little confused by this whole visit. Oh, really? that's why I had to call you and be like, wait, who is who again? Marvolo yeah. is Tom Riddle's granddad,
0: his maternal grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. It does get. I think it always gets confusing when you have people with the same name, Tom Riddle Senior and Tom Riddle Junior, and the Riddle yeah. House, and like that's always confused me. It's like I was telling you last night. That's why I can't read Love in the Time of Cholera because I'm like I don't understand who is
1: who. Yeah, because they all have. That's the same why we name. struggle with Star Wars too,
0: right? Because the names are really hard to remember. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the Cliff's Notes of it are: Tom goes to the Gaunt house. At this point, Maropi is dead. Marvolo is dead. We learned that in Bob Ogden's memory, or after Bob Ogden's memory, because Marvolo died shortly after coming back from Azkaban. He was taken to Azkaban right after the events of Bob Ogden's memory. So Marvolo goes to Azkaban for whatever he six months or whatever that he got. He comes back to you know to learn that Maropi has left the house and taken the locket, and then he dies pretty shortly afterwards because he is entirely not self-sufficient and doesn't know how to fucking feed himself, presumably without Marope's his dad. Yeah. Without his daughter cooking for him all the time. And so the important thing, the highlights of this conversation is that Morphin spills the tea about how things went down between Moropi and Tom Riddle Sr. None of which we have any reason to think Tom Riddle Jr. knew about.
1: Right. We knew about it. We
0: knew about it. But Tom Riddle Jr. wouldn't have known about it.
1: We only know about it because of the last Dumbledore lesson with Harry, where they went to Little Hangleton and watched all this stuff go down.
0: Exactly. Now, we don't know exactly how much Tom Riddle Jr. knows at this point when he goes to the Gaunt house. But according to Dumbledore, he sussed out that Marvolo and the Gaunt line were descendants of Slytherin and that he was a descendant of Slytherin and all of that. And he sussed out that his father didn't go to Hogwarts. But he probably had no reason to think that his father was a muggle until Morphin says that.
1: This solidifies his suspicion. Yeah. That he is a half blood. Exactly. That his dad was non magical. Now, what's the significance of the locket? I can't remember the whole locket.
0: The locket was Salazar Slytherin's locket. So, this is the same locket that Marvolo grabbed Merope by the neck with that locket and was choking her because he showed it to Bob Ogden. Like, you see this? This is salazar slytherin's locket yeah
1: do you know who i am
0: right and then this is the same locket that merope sold when she was pregnant to burke and he was like well she clearly didn't know how much it was worth and was happy to get 10 galleons for it
1: but it's not the same as the curse necklace no that's what always confused
0: yeah me. those are two different necklaces that's where even though i have such a problem with this movie that's one of the things that will be good about seeing it in movie form is that you'll see two visually different things,
1: but. Tale of two necklaces.
0: Right. And so the memory just ends kind of abruptly. You know, Harry and Dumbledore are standing in the gaunt house and then suddenly everything kind of goes black and we're back in Dumbledore's office.
1: Yeah. And so Dumbledore catches him up and says, so then Tom Riddle senior, Voldemort's dad. Mm and." Voldemort's grandparents, so Tom Senior's parents, all three of them were killed. Yes, the Ministry knows that it was a wizard who killed them. Dumbledore says the Avada Kedavra, whatever it's called, Avada Kedavra, Avada Kedavra. That curse leaves no right. mark of what happened, <clears throat> except for your scar. <laughs> Typically, it doesn't leave any mark. Yeah. So the wizarding community, the Ministry knows. Okay, this was a wizard that killed these people. Absolutely. Well, the most obvious. Is crazy ass Morphin. Right. So they go to Morphin, he completely confesses. It yeah. was me. I did it. You know, I, I cannot tell to do a, it. I cannot tell a lie. I did it with my hatchet.
0: Yes. And has details about the crime that only the person who did it would know. Yeah.
1: Morphin gets sent to Azkaban. Mm-hmm. Well, it was Voldemort who killed Tom Riddle and He killed his own dad and his own grandparents, right? If this shit's not getting dark enough for you. Right. So how he did it was he stupefied Morphin, stole his wand, committed the murder, came back, put the wand back in Morphin's hand, like Mm -hmm. returned it to its owner, Mm -hmm. and then planted a false memory in Morphin's head so that he would remember all this stuff. This is like what cops have done in interrogations before where they convince you that you did some shit that you didn't do. Like making a murderer. But yep. with magic. And then he stole Marvolo's ring off of Morphin's hand, mm-hmm. which he continued to wear, which we were talking about before the show. How cocky that this kid would like. My God. Because it kind of give him away. Like yeah. if anyone knew what that ring was, mm-hmm. they could be like, wait, what? How did you? Oh, but.
0: Which I guess at this point, and this is where it, it gets confusing even for me sometimes. I have to sort of take a second and go, wait a second. The past, when did Dumbledore know the things that he knew? You know, because you could, I think, kind of easily go, Oh, well, Dumbledore would have known what that ring meant. It's like, mm, Would he? Probably not. Does anyone
1: even know about this ring? For all probably we know, this kid not. just has a ring. Exactly. How would anyone know that Morphin typically wore some ring? This right. reclusive weirdo.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it was important for Tom Riddle Jr. to use Morphin's wand because he knew that the ministry would use. Prior and Kentatum and see what the last spell was that was cast. Right. Yeah. So it's airtight. I mean, the way he
1: did it is airtight. Morphin spends a lot of time in Azkaban.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Dumbledore figures out it wasn't Morphin who did it and tries to get him released, like, tries yeah. to appeal to the ministry look. Guy might be a piece of shit, but he didn't do this crime. Yeah, let's get him released. But Morphin dies.
0: I love that Dumbledore at least tried.
1: Yeah, you know,
0: because and I think that that's important because Harry is like incensed by the injustice of all of this. Now, these three murders. This is an interesting tie back to the beginning of Book Four and Frank Bryce because Frank Bryce worked at the Riddle House, and one of I think it's the very first chapter of *Goblet of Fire* is this whole chapter about the legend of the Riddle House and how the three occupants were found murdered with no marks Whoa, on them. Oh, really? You know, yeah. And then at the end of book four, Voldemort via Portkey gets Harry to little Hangleton and to that graveyard and has him on the bones of his muggle father. So like now we're, we're you're starting to see that there are things that are introduced, like this triple homicide that's kind of casually mentioned at the beginning of Goblet of Fire. Now we know what that was.
1: Yeah. This is the benefit you get from revisiting the series, I guess. Exactly. So Harry asked a great question. Mm -hmm. Why couldn't the ministry tell that underage magic had been performed? Right. You know, when he performed underage magic, he got busted. Yeah. Well, he got busted twice. Like one, when Dobby used the hovering spell with the cake. He got blamed for it. Mm -hmm. And the second time was when him and Dudley were in that alley and the Dementors came after him Mm -hmm. and he used, he cast a Patronus spell. Exactly. Which is still underage magic. Right. So Dumbledore kind of explains to him, well, when Dobby used the hover magic, you were blamed. And this is what I had to call you and be like, wait a second. Yeah. Because Harry says... If underage magic is performed in an adult wizard's house, the ministry can't tell who did it. And I called you and was like, wait, what the hell does that mean? Right. So the presumption on the part of the ministry is that adult wizards are keeping their kids in check. Yeah. So if they detect magic happened in this adult wizard's house, They assume it was the adult wizard. Right. Which is not illegal. That's what they do to wash dishes and make lemonade and all the type of... They use magic constantly all the time. Yeah. They assume that it's not the kids. Right. Right. Well, and what I asked you was, I said, who was the adult wizard on Privet Drive, though? You know, was it Aunt Petunia? Like... Right. And you were like, well, there isn't an adult wizard Right? Drive. That's how they knew it was Harry. Exactly. And I asked you, why does it the ministry think it's Dobby? And you were like, I don't think the ministry looks at Howl's elves as, like, right anything.
0: And it's a different kind of magic. They don't use wands. So if, yeah. you know, if this tracking system is reliant upon magic coming out of a wand, which it could be, you know, then— how self-magic wouldn't register. But at the very least, it's different magic.
1: Yeah. And we know, like you just mentioned, about prior incantatum, Mm -hmm. clearly there's like a a search history with wands. Which is so, it's one of my favorite
0: concepts in, in the magical world. But presumably, the only efficient way that the ministry would go about this is that they probably would have it set up to detect only magical activity in households that only contain an underage wizard. Which, when you think about it that way, there aren't that many households that are going to only have an underage wizard there.
1: No household will have that.
0: Privet Drive does, you know, and maybe Hermione's house. Hermione's house, yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. Hermione would, so muggle-born kids who, before they reach adulthood, you know, if you figure, like, if it's a total waste of time for the ministry to detect underage magic in a wizarding house like the Burrow... If they can't differentiate who cast it, why would they even have that set to blip their radar? Exactly. So chances are it's just those houses. Now, sometimes people will point out what they perceive as a potential plot hole. I will say it's never explained, but I feel like I have an explanation for this. Where, do you remember when the group came to get Harry from Privet Drive at the beginning of Order of the Phoenix? Yeah. And Tonks goes up to Harry's room and helps him pack. And she uses a couple of spells upstairs. And so a lot of times people are like, why didn't that alert the ministry? And I'm like, because she works for the goddamn ministry. You think they didn't like set that system to be off for the night or something in case they needed to defend themselves or something in case they ran into some kind of trouble?
1: But also like she's an adult. So, it would also be okay for an adult wizard to use magic in another wizard's house.
0: Right, right. But this house is on the ministry's radar as only containing an underage wizard. And all they can tell is that magic happened in that house.
1: Maybe they're not scanning for. All they can tell is magic happened. They can't tell it's underage.
0: Right. All they can tell so is So, why that magic wouldn't
1: happened. they see Tonk's magic? It sets off a radar. Assume and then, it's Harry. And then assume it's Harry. Yeah.
0: That's a plot hole that people introduce. I'm like, but because you have. Three ministry employees in the Order of the Phoenix who can undoubtedly, like, Kingsley Shacklebolt is single-handedly derailing the serious Black investigation, like- I'm pretty sure they can set it up to where it's not going to detect for the night.
1: I see the point of it being a plot hole. I just don't know if I care.
0: Right. To me, I'm like, it's easily explainable. Even if it's not explained in the text, it's not.
1: I've got bigger fish to fry as far as understanding Oh,
0: yeah. People love to, like, look and find, oh, there's a plot hole. There's a plot hole. Okay.
1: So then we go into the second memory. They come back, and they jump into the second memory. And this is a really little short one. Yeah. And it is a young Horace Slughorn. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's having one of his little slug parties, basically. He's got this group of boys, and it is the future Death Eaters of America. (laughs) Right. The FDEA. Yes. And this is like future Farmers of America, but it's Death Eaters. (laughs) Right. And Tom Riddle's there. He's wearing the ring. So we know this is post him killing his dad and his gram. Yes. And what we talked about, like the confidence of him wearing that ring is just (sighs) insane. Blatant. They're talking. And all of a sudden, like, this fog comes into the room and Slughorn says in this, like, loud, weird voice, you'll go wrong, boy. Mark my words. Yeah. And then the fog lifts, but none of the boys seem to see it or anything like that. And it's like, that's kind of strange, right? Yeah. I don't know what the hell's going on there. Right. So Voldemort starts to ask Slughorn about horcruxes. And he's like, hey. What do you know about Horcruxes? A second fog comes up. Fog number two. And this is what Slughorn says in his weird voice. I'm going to read it. I don't know anything about Horcruxes, and I wouldn't tell you if I did. Now get out of here at once and don't let me catch you mentioning them again. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And we're like, what the hell's going on there? So Dumbledore says, this did not happen. Right, like there was not fog in that room or anything. This is a memory that has been tampered with. Yeah, Slughorn has gone back in and messed up his own memory. Yeah, so that anyone poking in, pr- number one, he feels bad about it. Right, he feels bad that he didn't like say what he wishes. He's- That's what he wishes he would have said. Right, he wishes he would have said, "Boy, you'll go wrong." And right. no, I won't tell you about Horcruxes. Seems like maybe he did tell him about Horcruxes and that led to some bad shit. Right. So he's changed them, he's modified his own memory Mm -hmm. so he doesn't have to live with that guilt. But I think he also modified it in case somebody goes poking around.
0: Right. And it's not clear at what point Slughorn made this alteration did he make it to because i mean the substance of the memory is like kind of congealing it's not it doesn't even look right yeah as a consistency so did he did he modify it after dumbledore had already taken the memory or did he alter his own memory but there's really no reason to think that slughorn does not himself remember how it actually happened Right. So it's not even necessarily that he modified his own memory so much as he put like a weird filter on it and said, here you go, because he knows how that conversation actually went.
1: He's remembering it the way he wants to remember it.
0: Yeah. Or he's he's put some layer of whatever magic this is over this memory, because Dumbledore says, you know, we have reason to believe that the real memory is underneath the alteration and Dumbledore wants Harry to get this memory. So we have to assume that it still exists. The the actual memory
1: still exists. It does exist somewhere because Dumbledore gives him the homework and he's like, your homework Mm -hmm. is to try to get the real true memory out of Slughorn. Harry's like, if you can't get it, how the hell am I going to get it? Right. And Dumbledore tells him, I think it would be foolish to attempt to wrest the truth from Professor Slughorn by force and might do much more harm than good. I do not wish him to leave Hogwarts. However, he has his weaknesses like the rest of us. And I believe that you are the one person who might be able to penetrate his defenses. Mm. And he's like, it's important that we secure this memory. Yeah. Because they're trying to piece together how Voldemort came to power. They need to know everything they know about Voldemort so they can take him down.
0: Yeah, and Dumbledore says very honestly to Harry, or at least we assume that this is the truth, he says, I'm assuming that this real memory is important because it's big enough that Slughorn went through the trouble of changing it. I don't know how important it is. We won't know that until you have done your homework.
1: Is this the first time we've heard the word horcruxes in the book? Yes. Now, I've heard it, yeah. Before I was into Harry Potter. Right. Because I know, and this is one of those, how much does Kev already know? Yeah. I know there's like six or seven horcruxes. Right. And they represent like, I don't know, a piece of Voldemort's soul or like if you assemble them, he dies or if you assemble them, he gets power or it's, or maybe it's like other people's souls, but that's mm-hmm. what I know. I right. know that they're like horcruxes the reason i know this is because we threw a harry potter party and everyone had to find the horcruxes and one was a snake yeah and one was a necklace and i don't remember what the other ones were
0: right but i always
1: want to be honest about how much i already know about the series
0: i think as a vocabulary term horcrux is probably one of the most talked about just in you adhere in it culture if you've been associated. Exactly, which isn't that interesting that more than halfway through the sixth of seven books we're introduced to one of the most important concepts of the series.
1: Cool.
0: That's our chapter. Harry does say, haven't which bless his heart. Haven't you tried like Legilimency Z or Veritaserum? And Dumbledore's like, he is expecting both of those things. <laughs> like, I guarantee you he has an antidote to Veritaserum in his pocket all the time he's a potions master he knows how to brew it and he's a very good occlumens like you know he's good at that shit like i can't i can't use any of my normal ways because he sees them coming because he knows that i want this memory and he knows he doesn't want to give it to me
1: and it also serves as part of the classic hero trope which is why does this burden have to be put on me? Because right. you're the only one that can do it. Right. You know, this is the whole Luke Skywalker thing. Yeah. It's got to be you, man. It's got to be you, the reluctant hero. Yeah. If a hero just is like, I'll be your hero. Yeah. And then just steps right into it. It's not as exciting as heroes that are like, fuck, dude, why do I have to do this? Like, I know. Why does th- this got to be my lot in life?
0: I think one of the things I like about Harry as a reluctant hero is like, The reasons why he's reluctant are, at many points, incredibly relatable. Like, I feel like Harry doesn't want to do this because he's like, how the fuck am I going to get this memory out of Slughorn? This sounds super tedious and daunting, and I don't even know where to start. I don't want to do that. You know, it's like, I don't want to clean my closet. (laughs) Like, I don't know where to
1: start. God, I don't either. You know,
0: it's like this, it's not all of this noble It's just, I'm just me. I'm just Harry. He has those moments, but sometimes he doesn't want to do it because he just doesn't fucking feel like it, you know, which is so relatable. Yeah. (laughs) And that's what I like about him as a hero. So I would imagine you had a lot of material to choose from for your prophecy.
1: Yeah. So hit me with it. So my prophecy is not crazy outlandish, I think it's kind of a logical assumption, Okay. that Dumbledore is purposely feeding Harry. We all have our weaknesses, Harry. Mm. We all know what Slughorn's weakness is. I think Harry will be successful at retrieving the memory and he will use Slughorn's obsession with being associated with famous and influential people. Ooh. So I think what's going to happen is Harry is really going to start playing more into Slughorn's like interest in harry sure and being like you know what i am like part of the slug club i think he's really gonna own it so that he can yeah gain this trust and
0: he's gonna have to kind of put on an act he's really he's gonna put on
1: an act and exploit slughorn's ego oh and he is gonna be successful in retrieving the memory and that information is gonna be used to take down that freaking dark lord the
0: dark lord man fantastic What's your, I tampered with this memory, Hedwig's digital get down hoot?
1: Oh my God.
0: (laughs) Is that memories Memories. from Cats? Yeah. Yeah, Very nice. Is that from Cats? Yeah. I've never seen Cats. That's a different song, isn't it? Than what you were singing.
1: That. Now, now, all it's in my head is reunited and never felt so. No, good. No, and
0: it feels so good.
1: And it feels so good. Oh my it god, felt so good. Like it's something that happened in the past.
0: My god. Okay, let's move
1: forward.
0: <laughs> our Hedwig's digital get down comes from our dear Signia, and she sent us a question that she actually heard on MuggleCast, which is another podcast I've listened to quite a few times. It's a great show. She heard this discussion and she just wanted to hear our thoughts on it. So, this was the question Are all of the characters in Harry Potter, especially the males, in some capacity queer because a woman wrote them?
1: Okay. So, explain to me why the logic behind that question. Why explain to me why a character written by a woman is queer?
0: Right. So, I think that where. And I I haven't listened to this episode of MuggleCast, so I don't know if this was a question that was sent to them or if this or if is if they asked, if it, they asked yeah. it. So I you know if it's the hosts, but whoever was the asker of this question, I think what they were saying is since you know if you look at a, a male character in Harry Potter is created the thoughts, the motivations, all of that is actually created by a woman, and therefore would not be a cisgender situation, does that then make that character queer? Because if you think about what cisgender is, which is that I was born with the same gender that I identify with, yeah, then your male characters are created and voiced by a woman. So, I mean, it's an interesting point, and it might help, too, that I looked up the most succinct definition of queer Mm -hmm. that I could, right? Because it means something a little bit different to everyone, but I thought this was really well put. So, queer is a word that describes sexual and gender identities other than straight and cisgender. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people may all identify with the word queer, pansexual, asexual, anything other than straight and cisgender.
1: Right. And it's also used to describe cultural things like queer dance.
0: Right. Oh, sure. Yeah. So yeah. it's an umbrella term. And most of the the conversations or the conversations I've had with people or the interviews that I have read with queer people, the same sort of thing comes up very frequently, which is it's a little too complicated to explain that I identify as a woman, but I'm only romantically attracted to men. I'm sexually attracted to all genders. And so I just say queer. It's an easier way.
1: So there's a couple things. One, I don't feel like I have sufficient language Mm. to talk about queer issues in a way that honors the queer community. Right. Number one. Me neither. Number two, these are fictional characters. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how productive the discussion, it's interesting, yeah, but I'm not sure how productive it really is. Three, are we taking away something from the power of self-identification?
0: That's my thing. That's where I'm at with, that's my biggest thing.
1: Like, I was speaking with a, had a great conversation with a friend of mine the other night, and this is a friend who, if she had to put something on paper, she would probably say, I'm a lesbian. Right. She is a woman who exclusively dates women and is attracted to women. Right. She also does not self-identify. If she put a gun to her head, she'd probably say, this is what I am, maybe. But she chooses not to self-identify as anything. Right. It makes her feel uncomfortable to self-impose a pressure on herself to say, I am bi, I'm pansexual, I am lesbian, I'm whatever it is. Right. Which is her choice. That's her comfort level in the world. Yeah. However, she also, in our discussion, she understands that someone who self-identifies With a group of people that have been marginalized Mm -hmm. and have a valuable, rich history also has meaning. Mm -hmm. You know, like, basically what she said was, I kind of hate to say, like, why does everyone need labels? Right. Because that's my own personal feeling that I don't want labels. But who am I to rob someone else of saying what they are? Yeah. Because If someone is trans and they identify as trans, they are a part of a group of people with a history. Yeah. A history of generally violence and oppression against them. Yeah. So it's not nothing for people to self-identify as whatever it is that they self-identify. It's also okay to not... Want to say, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. For some people, it changes.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's, um, you know, the idea that all of this is fluid and flexible and yeah. is kind of a, a living part of your self-identification is, is very important. I, my biggest thing and the first thing I thought when I read this question was, I can't call anybody else queer. That's not how this works,
1: <laughs> you know? That's That basically is my biggest thing. Yeah. Like, it, who am I to even, like, speculate on it? Unless I'm trying to seek knowledge to be a more compassionate and mm-hmm. aware person. Right. So that in my life, I don't continue to oppress people that are non-cisgendered people. Yeah. If it's not towards that effort then I don't really know that my opinion really matters.
0: And so that's to your point about, well, these are fictional characters. So, you know, and and I understand what you're saying about, like, we have to sort of be careful, right? Yeah. At the same time, not just Harry Potter, but there are a lot of intellectual properties that provide or have provided a safe allegorical place for a lot of people to work through their own,
1: right? I can see that you know, um, yeah,
0: stress and and you know their own kind of issues with how they self-identify, which is why what the author has done is so egregious and harmful.
1: I get what you're saying. It's like I, for me, to be dismissive because they're just fictional characters is being dismissive of. Representation and right. the things that people look for in fiction. Yeah, that's why I think, like, as a cisgendered person, right? I don't really know that I can, can oh, speak I'm, eloquently or like you. fairly enough about it.
0: I'm totally with you too. I think it should be said that we are both straight cisgendered
1: people. Yeah, you know? we have identified as such our entire lives. Exactly. For both
0: of us. Yeah. yeah, and I consider myself like, wow, I, I really you know, got off easy with that because I've not had to wrestle with a lot of this oppression that other people have had to wrestle with. But yeah, I mean, it's a lot of people will say, oh, you know, cancel culture, cancel culture. J.K. Rowling was just expressing an opinion just because you don't like it. It's like, no, that's not what she's doing. She created what countless trans or just, we can just say queer people to encapsulate all of this considered a safe place. She created a world that they felt safe in. Yeah. And then she said, no, you don't belong here.
1: Yeah. She made people feel like they don't belong there, but she also made us feel like she didn't fucking mean any of it.
0: Right. Right. Which is why it's so important to me i can only speak for myself yeah. but why it's so important for me to go this isn't hers anymore she made she created the initial world yeah but this this world has been in the hands of the fandom for a long time and is now fully in the hands of the fandom in my opinion and that's art that's what that's art what is that's what art does
1: exactly you have that right mm-hmm. if i listen to a song and I say, what this song means to me is this. And the author goes, that's not my intention with the song. It doesn't right. fucking matter to me. Right. And it doesn't take away that that's what that song means for me. You put art into the world. Exactly. I can take that art and I can make it whatever I want. And I can make it as beautiful as I want. Yeah. And if you show signs of yourself, this is the whole, the creator versus their creation type mm-hmm. of thing. If you don't feel that way, then, hey, I've I've already taken... You know, th- this is—we've already expanded this into something more beautiful than you could have ever imagined when you wrote it.
0: Yeah. Anyway,
1: my hope for her is the same hope I have for Draco Malfoy, mm. which is my hope is that she's going to come around right. and see. Like I know she's doubled down, doubled down, doubled down a million times, mm-hmm. and wrote about you know being called a turf and really sort of made fun of the fact that people have called her a turf. She's like, I have trans friends. Clearly, I have you queer don't. friends, yeah. You know, et cetera, et cetera. But it's what bothers me the most is her not acknowledging the hurt that she's caused people. That's that's it's yeah. more fuck you guys. Right, right. It's oh, just, you want to call me that? This is bullshit. I'm not a fucking turf, I'm not a fucking homophobe, I'm not anti-fucking trans. Fucking get over yourself. Right. You are being dismissive. Of people's feelings. Exactly. You're being, you can't be dismissive of fucking trans people's feelings and then say, I'm not anti-trans. Right. You're fucking doing it right now. You this also, is what you're doing. Yes. You yeah. also
0: don't get to tell someone that what you said didn't hurt them. Right. You don't get to do that. Right. You don't get to take ownership in that way of other human beings, feelings and thoughts and emotions.
1: And this is something that comes up for all of us as human beings. Mm-hmm. This comes up with us in our marriage all the time. Yeah. Where it's like, You really hurt my feelings when you said this thing. That wasn't my intention. Right. Doesn't matter what's your intention. Yeah. I'm not, it's not that you should be punished for it, but you should acknowledge and accept that what you said or did made me feel this way. Right. Right. I know that because of our egos, our first initial reaction is to, but I'm not that person. Right. I'm not that person. But it's like, okay. But can you, once you get over that ego side, can you go, damn, I did make this person feel this way.
0: You can be not that person and that person could have had their feelings hurt. Both of those things can be true. We get so stuck in thinking that it's all one or all the other thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm completely. I wish
1: that it was, I wish her reaction would have been, I need some time with this. Yeah. You know, as you know, I'm assuming that JK Rowling identifies as a straight woman, right?
0: right? Yeah, as far as I know.
1: I feel like I wish that she would have said, I need some time with this. I need to really look at this. Yeah. I really need to talk to some people and kind of see what it is I'm missing here. Because if this wasn't my intention to make people feel this way, is there something that I'm missing? Instead, it was this immediate, this immediate defensive reaction. Yeah. That she keeps double downing on. And she doubles down on it so much that now she it's like she's. Poking right her more. she's become more and a caricature yeah. of
0: her own stance. It's ridiculous. I have never once had a conversation with a queer person who has not been totally willing to have a dialogue and answer questions. It's not their responsibility to educate me. Right. But when that comes up, inevitably, as it does. What I have always found, and I don't think this is unique to me, is a community that wants to have a dialogue. They want to to increase understanding in the world. Yeah. This is not a community that wants to go, fuck you. But you reach a certain point, JK Rowling, when not just the the people directly that you were referring to are gonna say this, but you know, anyone who cares for them
1: too is gonna say, fuck you. Yeah. Our entire history, we haven't been heard from because no one listens to us because we have a boot on our fucking neck. Right. So if you are going to listen to us, then do something about it. This is what we saw a lot of last year with the George Floyd protests and the black lives matter movement, this initial knee jerk reaction Mm -hmm. of the white ally to be like, no doubt I'm on board. We're listening to you. Tell us your stories. Tell us your truth. Right. Right. And it's like, what are you going to do with it? Right. If all you're going to do with it is, post some virtue signaling shit on Facebook, then stop wasting my time. What are you going to actually do? What are you going to do? How can you use the power that you have to affect change? And you ain't got to come back and tell us what you're doing. Just go do it. Right. Just go do it.
0: Yeah. Just fucking do it. And my final point about her, you know, the argument that just because she's a celebrity doesn't mean that she – you know, can't have, even if you don't like her opinion, that she can't have this opinion and express that opinion. And I'm like, but here's the thing though. If we take the two sides of this conflict, JK Rowling on one side and the trans community on the other side and the people who love them, but primarily the trans community on the other side, one of these parties is a billionaire with a lot of social influence. And the other party are a historically oppressed abused, murdered population. So that is not an
1: equal exchange. Just that as a starting point, I would like to sit down with the author and be like, can we just, right? can we look at this first?
0: Listen, Spider-Man, I think this is from Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. Right. So you can have the opinions all day long that you want J.K. Rowling because you're a human being and I can't stop you from having those opinions. Yep. But you have a megaphone that is infinitely larger than the people whose necks you have a boot on right now.
1: And also, don't assume that oppressed people will not allow you the opportunity to change. Right. Don't assume that you're just brandished as one thing forever and that you can't come around. Right. If anything, we want you to come around. We'll talk to you. I'd love to talk to you personally. I'm not going to fanboy out. I'm not going to yell at you and call you a turf. Anything. I'd like to just sit on my gazebo and just have a conversation with her because this is why it doesn't seem to be making her happy.
0: Yeah, there's also that. And at this point, I don't really care that much about her happiness. But if, yeah, like if I could snap my fingers and have a conversation with her that would heal a lot of the hurt that's been done, first of all, I don't know if that's possible. Yeah. But if it could, I'd be all about it. I'd be like, yes, let's have a conversation.
1: It's tough for me because. A lot of what she talks about is coming from a woman's perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, I, then again, I also don't know what it's like to be a woman. She's been very open about being assaulted in her life. That's admirable for a woman with her amount of power to say, hey, I've gone through this thing in my life. Yeah. We should see that and recognize that sure. as like a good thing, but. This is a topic that, like, we we (laughs) We kind of go go off on a little bit too much.
0: But yeah, it's a really interesting question, Sinya. And I'm so glad that you thought of us when you heard this on MuggleCast. Because that's, I mean, it's an honor to know that you would want to know our thoughts on that. So I hope that we made you proud. first with marriage lessons i hope it's a good one it is a good one so my marriage lesson and we had speculated that we might have pulled from the same line yeah and i'm really thinking that we probably did um the the line that inspired my marriage lesson this is in dumbledore's office this is before they enter the pensive for memory one Ah, Harry, how often this happens, even between the best of friends. Each of us believes that what he has to say is much more important than anything the other might have to contribute.
1: Wow, that's good. I almost
0: pulled mine from that. Oh, that's not the one I you didn't. did. Okay. So um, please explain. Now I'm super excited to hear yours. So I think that in this line, the, the sort of obvious takeaway is always remember you know that what you have to say is not the most important thing. But I actually take something a little bit broader and a little bit more simple from it, which is always be striving to be a better listener. And I love this concept of like what truly makes a good listener. I found a super interesting article from the Harvard Business Review. I'll put it in the show notes, but it's called uh, What Great Listeners Actually Do. And it highlights what most people think great listening is and what it actually is. And then I'm also going to link in the show notes to a TED talk I know I've told you about called 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation uh, with Celeste Headley is the speaker. And she talks about the concept of great listening. And so often I only have my own internal experience, but so often I find myself in a loop of hearing what someone is saying only to formulate how I'm going to respond to it. Whether that's my friends telling a funny story and it reminds me of a funny story and I can't wait till I can tell my funny story, or whether it's in a more contentious time when I'm feeling defensive and I'm hearing something I don't want to hear. And so then I'm formulating my defense. I'm not listening when I'm doing those things. Yeah, I'm not listening to what The other person is saying. And I think that being a great listener, I don't think anybody is born a great listener. I think it takes a lot of work. And I think it also takes a lot of self compassion when you recognize your old habits, because you're going to go through that a lot on this journey to be a better listener, where you can be mindful, let that go, and come right back to what you're doing, come right back to your mission. To me, one of the hallmarks of a great listener is they ask you questions. And that's actually what's in this Harvard Business Review, too, is that a great listener will hear what you're saying and they will ask you to elaborate on certain points. My sister-in-law is great at this.
1: Oh, yeah. Great.
0: You know, it's like and you've said before, you feel like you're being interviewed, but like in a good way, not interrogated, but like interviewed because you feel when you're talking to her, you feel so interesting because she's showing so much interest in what you're talking about. It's such a nice feeling.
1: And the... The way that you know that she's not just moving the conversation along by asking you questions is that when you see her again or see her later, mm-hmm. she comes back to that information. It's like, so last time we talked, yeah, you told me you were really into this. What about this?
0: Yeah. And it makes
1: you feel like someone's thinking about you.
0: Absolutely. Cool. So I if, like it. Thank you. So the show notes, as always, will be on our website. They're under... I think you click blog. It'll be it'll be intuitive and obvious which one you click, but I post the show notes the same day that the episode goes live. So I'll have that TED talk in there. I'll have the article that I'm talking about in there. It's really interesting and I highly encourage everyone to read it. What is your marriage lesson?
1: So my marriage lesson comes from possibly one of my favorite Dumbledore quotes so far. Okay. A new favorite Dumbledore quote list. Oh my item. lord. Yes. And it is, we must try not to sink beneath our anguish, Harry, but battle on. Such a great Which line. Which is awesome. So how that relates to a marriage lesson is, I'll give you kind of a real life example. Thursday, Wednesday night, I got a good night's sleep. Mm-hmm. Thursday, I woke up, ankle was feeling pretty decent. I ate a good breakfast. I drank water. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of self-care. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was firing on all cylinders. Like yeah. I went to work. My, you ever get to work and you start typing and you can immediately tell how good your brain's working yes. by how well you're typing? You're like, oh, okay. Yes. I'm really clear and focused today. I felt like I was killing it on Thursday. Yeah. Then I came home, got some stuff done. At the end of that day, I was like, dude, you nailed it today. Friday was a fucking shit show. <laughs> it was like one of the worst Fridays I've ever had in my life. God. It was crisis after crisis after crisis at work. I did not feel sharp. I did not feel smart. I did not feel positive. I physically felt like crap for various, you know, health issues that I've going on. And I felt super bummed out by the fact that like, God damn, dude, like yesterday I was nailing it. Yeah. And today I suck. And that anguish can be a heavy yoke around your neck. Yeah. So to try not to sink beneath the anguish, you know, is the realization of, It's one day, man. Every day you are not going to feel smart, powerful, confident, capable. It's not possible. In fact, most days you're not going to feel that way. Yeah. But you can't take that anguish and just bury yourself in it. You have to give yourself a little bit of permission of self-love, which is kind of a journey that I'm on right now, and it greatly affects our marriage. Yeah. And we have found you know, over the years that there, you know, we've encountered deaths and heartbreaks and all sorts of things. But I think that we are really learning that you can't bear yourself beneath the anguish. You can recognize it, you can feel it, but you also have permission from yourself to move on, to battle on, so to live, nice. to fight another day. I and I feel that. like you and I have been putting really good work into our relationship and Absolutely. we're battling on Yes, despite the anguish we cause each other. <laughs>
0: Jesus Christ. Wow. Didn't know you felt that way. That's, that's great. That's
1: just a dig for no reason. Happy
0: Sunday to me. <laughs> My God. That's beautiful though. Are you ready to roll the credits?
1: Sure. Roll them. Roll them suckers.
0: The episode will be right back. First, I wanted to take a second and tell you more about connecting with us and supporting the show. Following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook is the best way to stay updated on our upcoming chapters for the week, special events and announcements, recaps of the prophecy and marriage lessons from the latest episode, and more. You can find us on Instagram at the fox and the foxhound, on Twitter at fox and foxhound, know these. And at facebook.com slash the fox and the foxhound. If you'd like to chat with us and with other listeners or foxies as they've been christened, join us on Discord. Just head to our website, thefoxandthefoxhound.com and click the join us on Discord button right there on the home screen. We're getting ready to give our Marauder patron shout outs for the week. And you too could join that list. This show is funded solely by our patrons. Thank you, patrons! So if you like what we do and want to help us continue to do it, Patreon is the most direct way to show your support. Membership levels range from $1 to $20 a month and come with great benefits, including early episode release, exclusive patrons-only Discord channels, and even digital art, which is new this season. Check it out at patreon.com slash thefoxandthefoxhound. Finally, we want to thank two special people. Judson Hurd, who composed the original theme for our show. You can find out more about Judson and his music at judsonhurd.com, j u d s o n h u r d.com. And our manager of mischief, dungeon master and brother from another mother, Josh Bailey. Be sure to check out Josh's ongoing D&D campaign, Casting Rolls, on YouTube and Twitch. Okay. Let's get back to the episode. Well, those were great. They rolled. Great credits. They rolled. It's time for winners and losers. Who's your winner?
1: Dumbledore. Okay, why? Because of his dedication to Harry. Mm-hmm. Because of him sharing his knowledge with Harry and showing vulnerability in front of him.
0: Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Oh, those are all. Who's really your good wiener? Places. My wiener is also Dumbledore. I chose Dumbledore because he at least tried to get Morphin exonerated. Yeah. Even though Morphin's a piece of shit, he didn't commit the crime that he was incarcerated for. I like so it. I think that's very noble. Who was your loser?
1: Tom Riddle. Sure. Because it's not very polite to kill your dad and your grandparents. <laughs> that's that's correct. It's it's not very polite. I feel really
0: weird that I didn't choose Tom Riddle. <laughs> my loser is hermione oh god <laughs> because to me she's she's continuing the grudge in a very childish way yeah. by just pretending ron isn't there <laughs> but now i'm i'm feeling some type of way <laughs> about the fact that i am choosing one of the only female characters in the chapter <laughs> over the um, the devil himself, the the guy who who committed Ooh. a triple homicide in this chapter. Uh, okay, okay. Clearly, I have some of my own bias work to do. Right. All right. Wow. It's time for patronus moments. Do you want me to go first? Or- I do. Okay. Why am I not surprised? My Patronus moment's very simple and it may seem really silly, but I don't really care because it's no such thing as a silly
1: (laughs) Patronus moment.
0: So I got, everyone on Discord will probably know this if they happen to read it, and you certainly know this. I got a VR headset recently. This is my first foray into virtual reality. I got an Oculus. I hate that it's owned by Facebook. Don't come for me. I know it's the worst, but still. And I found an app and I am i won't even say what it is because we're not sponsored by them or anything like yeah. that. And I don't want it to seem weird. I found an app that is for working out that is so much fun that I'm finally getting active again. Because I was like really into exercise and then I hurt my knee and then I had this chronic migraine situation. And i I've kept trying, especially with the migraine stuff, to exercise again. But it seems like every time I do it, the next day I have a migraine. So I'm like, well, great. Is this just my lot now that I can't do something like physical exercise that's really important to me? But for some reason, and I don't know if it's because I'm engaged in this kind of game-like play that I'm keeping things relaxed in a way that I wasn't before when I'm intentionally exercising. I don't know why, but all I know is that I can work out really hard, like dripping sweat hard, and I don't get a migraine. And I don't need to know why. I just know that it works. And so my Patronus moment is like playing this this game. And
1: you look so silly and I so know. happy when you're doing it. And,
0: and I feel so happy. I don't feel silly. I feel like Wonder Woman. But I understand that I'm sure I look silly. It is so much fun. Yeah. So that's my Patronus moment.
1: <laughs> I love it. What's yours? So mine is... Last night, I went to this event. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Oh, my God. Shout out to Onset Cinema, mm-hmm. who's an organization that's run by a guy named Kenny. And what they do is they show movies on a projection screen in the location where the actual movie was filmed. It's a brilliant idea. So, yeah. one of my favorite movies of all time, Maximum Overdrive, God which was us. filmed here in Wilmington. Yeah. Where the Dixie Boy truck stop in the movie, which was by the way, I learned last night was built just for the movie. It was not. Those gas pumps weren't real.
0: Interesting. And I didn't know that. Now,
1: they built an actual, like, building. It wasn't just, like, flats and stuff, you know. Yeah. And everything was filmed inside of it. Wow. But, and then it was destroyed. So, but it was right where that truck stop was. Yeah. And they were going to have a projection screen. But because it was so windy from this tropical storm coming from the Gulf. Yeah. They decided to just project it on the side of a building that's there. Yeah. And it's the only building that is still left from the original movie from 1986. So cool. So it ended up being kind of cool. Yeah. So while we're watching the movie projected on the building, we're seeing the building projected on itself. That's awesome. And because of that, we can see about where we are on the set. We're like, oh, we're like. Me and my brother determined where we were sitting was between like the corner of the diner and the gas pumps okay. like somewhere around there. Yeah. So that was really cool. But I got to meet two of the actors from the film and get their autographs and get a picture with them, which is cool. And I got to hang out with my brother, which is always cool. Yeah, that's always good. Um, Yeah. But I was sitting there last night and there was a nice cool breeze blowing. And we were drinking a beer and watching one of my favorite movies with one of my favorite people, which is my brother. Yeah. And thinking about how we've always loved this movie. It's always been a thing that we bonded between us. And here we are all these years later. Still keeping up with the stuff that we love.
0: That's so wonderful. And I think
1: a big part of Patronus moments is to, you know, don't ever forget the things that make you happy. Right. And don't ever be ashamed of them and just embrace the things that you love.
0: I love that because that is, I think that is incredibly, an incredibly important lesson just in life that we all need to, as someone who has done a lot of self-shame about like, oh, this is silly, or oh, I'm so obsessed with this. You know, like, I'm, I'm so glad you said that. Let's shout out our marauders. Your challenge today. We know that one of the ways that Tom Riddle got old Slughorn's lips looser was he brought him his favorite treat, which is crystallized pineapple or crystallized ginger, pineapple, right? Why am I like doubting myself now? It's pineapple. It's pineapple. Okay.
1: You're thinking of crystallized ginger because that's what William loves.
0: Oh, I I too love crystallized ginger. I've never had crystallized pineapple, but it sounds delightful.
1: Mm. Man, that crystallized Mm. ginger with a beer, so good. delicious. sharp bite of the ginger with a little sweetness, then the bitterness of the beer. Oh, heavenly. So,
0: so good. So we know that bringing him this crystallized pineapple got Slughorn to say whatever it is that he said that he then covered up. So what would each of our... Patrons be bribed by successfully? What would okay. you bring them that would get them talking? Let's start with our newest Marauders, Kit and Demi.
1: <laughs> Tickets to a really good punk show.
0: Absolutely. They would tell you anything. Larissa Oatman.
1: Larissa, um, one of those Flintstone push up pops, the orange oh, push up. Remember the push ups?
0: Those are so good. I, I can still taste that. Oh, senior Jorgensen.
1: A, a nice cup of tea. Yes. A nice cup of herbal tea.
0: How beautiful, Amy Sophia Mayer.
1: A book. Yes,
0: any book. <laughs> yeah. Yes, preferably something really smart.
1: Right. Austin Scroggins. Some killer new piece of like tech tech stuff, like a new Apple Watch or an upgraded iPhone or some like next generation AirPods.
0: Fun fact: that's also what would work on me. Right. Hannah Gibb, The
1: Boveneta! Yes. A new game to play.
0: Yeah. She's so good at games and she's so good at organizing our group on Discord. They had an Among Us night last night that unfortunately I couldn't join, but she's so good at organizing it. Lexiphage. A nice perfume. Mmm. Who doesn't a, love a good A Fancy
1: perfume. Parfum. Perhaps a bit of Joe Malone. Ooh. Or Joe loves.
0: Or Joe Loves, even better. Joe loves, yes. Michael Terry.
1: A good cocktail.
0: Yeah. Fucking,
1: yeah. Good me too. a strong, well-crafted cocktail.
0: That would also work on me. There are a lot of these that would work on me too. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty easy to persuade. Pete Collins.
1: Pete Collins would be a vintage piece of music history. Maybe a really old, rare record. Or like Pete Townsend's boot or something.
0: <laughs> okay, that's random. Ben Clark. As he's sitting... Outback.
1: Right. Tickets to an NBA game and flights to the U.S.
0: Yeah. Heather Bevels. A nap. <laughs> Here you go. Here's a nap. Dean Heath.
1: Panthers tickets, baby.
0: Yes. Vicky Gutherless and Rick. Package deal.
1: Vicky said all she needs is Rick. Oh, my God.
0: So we would just bring her Rick.
1: And she'd be like, I don't need anything else in this world.
0: That's precious. And Rick would
1: be like, "I'll oh, get over yourself.
0: Kara <laughs> Heller.
1: Some movie theater candy. Oh, my God. Whatever is her favorite.
0: Oh, that sounds amazing. I want some mm. right now.
1: You know what I had last night? A big airhead.
0: <gasps> and it was
1: half watermelon, half strawberry. I love Stop airheads. It. And as soon as I finished eating it, my whole body was like, you shouldn't have done that. It's so much That's sugar. sugar. You're going to die.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: It makes my cheeks go numb. It's so much sugar. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Josh Bailey. Oh, God. There's a lot of these that would apply to Josh. Yeah. A new movie on Blu-ray. Oh, I don't even know if he has a Blu-ray player. Yeah.
0: He is a movie guy. Yeah. For sure. Sarah Epting.
1: Sarah started doing yoga again. I know. She picked back up her... She does yoga on a dock in the beautiful, quaint little fishing town that she lives in. Isn't that just... And she started it back again, and she posted a picture, and she's so happy.
0: It's amazing.
1: So I think what you could give to her is just your presence.
0: Oh,
1: she likes the presence of other people and she likes to make other people happy.
0: That's so nice. Mallory Gallagher,
1: Mallory Gallagher, rather (laughs) rather. This is part of our musical too, by the way. Yeah. Mallory Gallagher. She would like the first completed song of the musical sent to her.
0: Yes. She will be the first to receive it.
1: Jennifer Ayers. Um, tickets to that. What's that? Um, Theme park in Colorado that I want to go to. I don't know. Idlewild. Okay. Tickets to Idlewild. All right. All right. Daniel Marks. D Marks. Dave Matthews tickets all day, every day. Yeah. Oh, it's coming up. It is. It's almost a month away. Oh also, God. happy Father's Day to Daniel Marks.
0: Yes. A father
1: that I truly admire.
0: Yes. Brianne Brown.
1: Brianne Brown. <laughs> um, every
0: now and then I get
1: a little. Is that where you were going? Every at? now and then I get a little bit lonely, and I think about Cleveland. <laughs> we're gonna give her a, a lifetime pass to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, <laughs> which a, is so close to her house. Like Charlie so already has a, down the street.
0: <laughs> Faith Kenfield.
1: Um, a, a like a
0: spa day. A Ooh. coupon for a spa day. Oh God, you deserve it. Josh Kennedy.
1: A tailored three-piece suit.
0: Oof. We've got a a big budget.
1: I know. Oh, yeah. Maeve Richards. We're going to get her a new piece of jewelry that's not cursed.
0: Yes. Very important. If someone
1: gives you a piece of jewelry, by the way, and says, I thought you'd really like this. I I saw it at this place. I thought it was really pretty. By the way, it's definitely not cursed.
0: Don't put that shit on. It's totally cursed. (laughs) You're about to be Katie Belled all up in here. (laughs) Amber Biggs.
1: Just a hug from Henley.
0: Right, right, Henley. Go give your mom a hug.
1: Now, or <laughs> we will stop making this show. <laughs> now you heard me now.
0: <sighs> birthday boy Chris White.
1: Chris. A birthday cake.
0: Yes. His favorite cake, whatever that may be. Kelly Moore.
1: Unlimited fabric. Ooh. You know what it would be? What? A trip to, what's that store they go to in America's Next Top Model and Project Runway? Oh, my God. That cloth store that they go to Um, that's really huge? Thank
0: you, Mood. Mood. Mood.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. A trip to Mood.
0: Oh, yes. I want to go to Mood. Natalia Ward. The the Warden. warden.
1: (laughs) What's funny, I was was talking to my brother last night, and he said, man, the candy exchange, it was so hard to mail the candy to to England, like- the post office acted like they had never mailed anything to the UK before. I and I said, who did you have? And he was like, um, uh, it's a female patron. I can't remember her name. And I said, was it Natalia? And he was like, might have been the warden, but he <laughs> called her the warden. That was last night at that event. Was pretty That's pretty funny. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, Natalia, Cheeky Nando's.
0: Cheeky Nando's. Big old
1: bag of Nando's.
0: Listen, she would tell you anything for a bag of Nando's. I know. She'd I spill the
1: freaking beans. Yes,
0: she would. Nick Tillman.
1: Fine cigar. Cuban.
0: Only Cuban. Yeah. Only the best for Nikki Tuttle's. Yeah. Melissa Hunter. Newly engaged Melissa Hunter.
1: Oh, my, I think it's on her finger
0: already. Uh-huh. If you an engine a ring on it. And he did. Yes. On the other hand. No. Nope. Nope. There's nope, a golden bag. Nope. Band. <laughs> nope. Okay. You are not going to follow Beyonce with that. Okay.
1: Lindsay, prestige. <laughs> a tiara. Did yes. I give her a tiara in the last episode? She, she needs gets another, another one. one. Yes. Yeah, she's prestigious. This is
0: like her casual. This is like her Thursday tiara. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a weekday tiara.
0: Yes. And finally, Samantha Tillman.
1: Oh, PBR this big old case of pbr
0: like one of the tall boys oh she's a case she's just going to yeah. share
1: it with her i know roller derby she's team She's so anyways. generous
0: my god and for our extra shout out today i thought how fun would it be if we shouted out a patron of ours that i happen to be related to what my niece alana have i met her <laughs> she yes. sounds great she's wonderful what would you bribe alana with
1: oh what do you get for the girl who has everything oh my god Alana would like a lot of the things I've mentioned. Yes. A good cocktail. Yes. Um, you know what it'd be? It'd be a small cask, Ooh. single release, Ooh. small batch craft beer.
0: Oh, yeah. She would love it. She would love that. Yeah,
1: like father, like daughter.
0: Also, Alana is like very easy to please. <laughs> She's very easygoing. And so I feel like she would appreciate literally anything. But that would be something she would truly enjoy yeah, she's wonderful and we love her today. yes we do well thank you to our marauders all of our patrons and all of you listening that's our show for this week
1: thank you for being a friend
0: thank you for being a friend and thanks for
1: listening, <inaudible> listening to
0: us rant and <inaudible> sending us challenging questions
1: <inaudible> and thank something you for just being you You're a
0: pal in a Okay, I'm good. I'm done.